Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you give us reason to just sing your praises, 10,000 reasons and more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. God, we ask that you would come and you would bless the preaching of your word. You bless a broken preacher who so desperately needs grace. You bless a congregation this Advent season. Oh God, bless us to be a blessing. We thank you that you're so worthy to receive our praise. We're so grateful. You're so gracious to forgive our sins. What a merciful father you are. What a wonderful savior you are. What an incredible comforting spirit you are, our great God. We bless you. We love you and ask for your blessing. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, if you want to turn with me to the Gospel of John, and by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give one to you. They're in the back. It'd be our privilege to give you God's Word. Uh, this, this Advent season, we're looking at a series called No Other Way. There was no other way home. There was no other way for us to be reunited with a Father, a God who is, except for this incredible miracle, this incredible grace of God, that He would send His only Son to come and rescue us. There's no other way. There's no other way. So we've been looking at that reality. We've been looking at God's Word saying, uh, what did it actually take? Uh, the first week of Advent, we looked at Jesus as the Son of God. God in flesh that would have to come and dwell with us. Last week, we looked at the Word of God. The Word of God that created all things. That's the light and life of man. And this week, we're going to look at the Lamb of God. We're back in the Gospel of John, uh, looking to uh, John the Baptist's word. And what in the world does it mean that Jesus uh, is forever the Lamb of God? Let me ask you a question. Are you excited about the new Star Wars movie that's coming out, The Rise of Skywalker? Uh, some of you might be more excited than others. Uh, I got to tell you that I am a fan of Star Wars I am not a fanatic, right? Uh, I'm a fan. I think I've been entertained by every one of those movies, but I'm not somebody who thinks that that's a reality I want to live in or that that's kind of my world, you know? Um, but I got to tell you, uh, just last week, as we were actually picking up our Christmas tree, I spotted a fellow wearing a Death Star t-shirt. And I could tell that he was more than a fan. This was uh, clearly probably somebody who was a fanatic. Uh, you probably know the type. Somehow you can spot these people a long way away. But So I went up to him and I, I kind of poked a bear. I probably shouldn't have done it, but I did it. I asked him the question, so you excited about the new movie coming out? And I knew what I was going to get. It wasn't going to be a quick yes or no. I mean, I was going to get a history of the Lucas films and the true storyline and, and where it's diverged. And I poked the bear. I should have been anticipating. Just tell me, are you looking forward to the movie or not? But I got a whole lot more of the storyline than I really wanted to. And by the way, has anybody seen Baby Yoda online? If you have, you've probably in a different generation, uh, Talbys, I can't believe that you said yes. You're too old for that. You know? What's up with you, man? Are you wearing that Death Star t-shirt? It was Bill Talby. And so um, anyway, uh, you might be a fanatic if you know what Baby Yoda looks like. But every time I see a Star Wars movie, I have to remind myself like where I am in the storyline, right? 
I mean, what's going on and who's the force and who's got the force and who's good and what's evil and who in the world would Luke's father anyway? Uh, those kind of things. Because when you start with a movie number three, and I think you go three, four, five, then they, did anybody even know what a prequel was until they came out with prequels? And they had to figure out, now we're going backwards in time and some are forwards in time. And I don't know about you, but I think they're entertaining, but I get really confused. Where are we in the storyline again? What is the point of all this stuff? It's entertaining. By the way, some of you fanatics, it's a story. It's not real. (laughs) But sometimes even in God's word, that is real. That is a true story. We're going to get things you're going to say, now, where, where does this fit in the story? And, and, and how, does this, how does this all unfold? And where am I in the story? And how does this make sense? Because we're going to see something today that's pretty amazing. A guy named John the Baptist, a lot of people realize that God's spirit was upon this guy, and that he was the one that was leading the way for Jesus. And he was the one preparing the way that, that uh, was said that he was going to come. Isaiah said he was going to come prepare the way. He's going to say about Jesus, he's going to say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, when you make a statement like that, Behold, the Lamb of God, you want to know what in the world are they talking about, right? I mean, what's the backstory to this? I mean, why call him the Lamb of God? Well, where does it fit? We're going to look at that today. And I'm going to tell you, it's amazing. It's beautiful. Have you been around God's story lately? Have you just been blown away how incredibly beautiful it is? How, how it's all about Jesus? So we're going to look at this Lamb of God. We're going to look at three, three things. We're going to behold the Lamb of God. We're going to look at who takes away the sins of the world, or the sin of the world. And then we're going to ask, what now? So three easy things. Let's look to John, John chapter 1. We were in that last week. If you ever want to listen online, it's on our website. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts. So if you ever miss or tell others, uh, um, I love the fact that uh, there's a gal in Tennessee that every week, every Monday listens and just says, hey, I love this week. And, And this is what I've learned from it. So you have that opportunity as well. But let's hear God's word. John chapter 1, verse 29 through 37. Hear the word of the Lord. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. This is John the Baptist. And said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I have said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus, and he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord of our God will stand forever. 
Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the Lamb of God. And thank you for what he does. Take away our sin. God, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us minds to understand? Would you give us hearts to embrace? And would you give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of the one who is called the Lamb of God? God, may we understand what it means that he came to take away sin. May it not be a story that's out there, but a story that intersects each one of our lives. Oh God, may it be our story. Would you enfold us into the greatest gospel story again this morning? Father, the things that I say that are wrong or just merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, the Lamb of God, our Savior? God, would you do these things that would bring you glory and give us great joy? We pray in the matchless name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. When I was coaching Little League, one of the great joys in my life, coaching uh, throughout my boys' years, I loved coaching Little League, did it for many years. And what you want to do when you start coaching Little League is the first thing is so important, you have to make sure you cover the basics, the essentials. It's key to start that way. So the first thing we would do is that we would give out nicknames, you know, just kind of make sure that we had a nickname for all the kids. Uh, Every kid on my team, I always had a nickname for it, always came with a bit of a backstory. Every once in a while, I had a kid who asked to change his story. I'll never forget Corey, the big story, uh, who said to me mid-season, can I change my nickname from Corey, the big story, to Sweet Stuff? <laughs> Tried to find out why. I couldn't find one, but sure, you know, Corey, you want to be Sweet Stuff? I liked Corey, the big story. kind of rhymed, but making sure everybody has a nickname, a, a handle, a way of describing them. Why in the world would John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, why would he call out and say, hey, Behold, fix your gaze on this. I mean, the word behold is really powerful. Draw your attention. Stop what you're doing. You want to make sure you're focusing in on this. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What in the world was John saying? What is the backstory? So we're going to look at the first thing. Behold the Lamb of God, because there is a backstory. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do three things this morning when it comes to this. We're going to look backwards, because it's amazing. We're going to look a little bit forward, because it's incredible. And then we're going to look at John, because it's so rich. And so we're going to do all three of these things. And looking back, you're going to see this. If you read through Scripture, there has been a promised Lamb. Um, there, there's been a lamb, has been a big part of the storyline of God's redemptive history. There was a promised lamb that God would promise uh, Abraham, Father Abraham, a substitute lamb. We're going to talk about that. There's going to be a promised lamb that God gave to Moses. It's a Passover lamb. And there's a promised lamb. He's described as a lamb. He's a suffering servant in Isaiah. And the first thing is this. It's the promised land that God provided Abraham in place of his son, Isaac. It's a substitutionary sacrifice. It was a lamb that was to die in the place of another. Now, 
Scripture has some really doozies of stories. I mean, it has some incredible stories. It's beautiful. It's incredible. Uh, and one of the stories that is, is pretty marvelous is the story of Abraham, uh, a man of faith, Father Abraham, a man that God promised to have a seed through him that would be a blessing to all nations. Now, he came to Abraham. Abraham's a really old dude, like 90. And his wife was even older. And they had Zippo kids. And God's going to come to Abraham and say, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so much that your descendants are going to be more than the sky, the stars in the sky. And somehow he believed God. I mean, in the midst of all, like, there's no way that this will happen. He had faith. And it's true. And so God's going to give him a promised seed. And he says that through you, there's going to be a bless. This, this seed that's going to come, this promised son, he's going to bless all nations. Oh, I love my boys and they're a blessing, but all nations, <laughs> all people. I mean, seriously, all people are going to be blessed through this son. By the way, let me just fast forward real quick to get, guess who that seed is ultimately going to be. It's going to be Jesus, right? J-E-S-U-S. That's going to be the, the one who blesses all nations. But so Abraham and Sarah, they have this child, Isaac, the son of promise, and he's like near and dear. I mean, old age, I mean, it's incredible. His name's laughter because, I mean, you laugh at the story like Sarah's pregnant. Are you kidding me? Uh, ew, yeah, awesome, you know, it's incredible. So Isaac comes and God says something that really seems puzzling. He says, Isaac, I just want to make sure we got our, our, our uh, you know, our relationship right. I, I just want you to take your son Isaac and I want you to sacrifice him. Now, listen. Listen, God said it to Abraham. This is not something normative that he says to us. I mean, again, throughout scripture, he hates child sacrifice. But he had a point that he was doing here. So he said, no matter of fact, I want you to go to a specific place. And I want you to take your most beloved son, the son of promise, and I want you to sacrifice him. So they go. They go to the place, which, by the way, is going to be probably close to the place, if not the place that Jesus is sacrificed. He's going to go to that mount and he's going to go up there and it's going to be, he's going to go. And Isaac's like, okay, dad, I get the story. Uh, you know, uh, let me read it. Isaiah 22, seven. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? He's basically saying, okay, God, I, 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 I know, dad, we're going to go and we're going to have a sacrifice. I got all the things for the sacrifice, but where's, where's the thing we're sacrificing? He was it. But here's what Abraham said in faith. God will provide himself, the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. God's going to provide. So they both went together. And there he was. And in faith, Abraham, and by the way, Rembrandt, I have this picture in my study. It's beautiful. Rembrandt portrays as Isaac's on the sacrifice and Abraham's about ready to, to take his son's life. And the angel says, stop. No, 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 no. Don't lay a hand on your son. And he looks and he sees a lamb caught in the thicket. He said, that's the one. You see this, behold the lamb of God, the one lamb that God would provide that would be a substitute for another. It's Jesus it's Jesus. He would provide the, the, the Lamb of God would come that we deserve the death. The wages of sin is death. We deserve to be separated from God. But the sacrifice that God accepts is, is a, a, atonement for our sins. It's his own son, the Lamb of God. Wow. This is the one. And, and again, by the way, one of the, one of the things I saw with the Star Wars movies, I think it was number 
4, which was number 1, which was a prequel, and I'm already confused, and I know you are too, when it showed little Anakin Skywalker, who will grow to be Darth Vader, it was really cool. They had a little boy, and they showed the light on him, and the, ca- the shadow it cast was of Darth Vader. I'm like, wow, that's really kind of cool. See, if you shine the light of Christ on the Isaac and Abraham story, you see the cross of Christ. And you see that God himself provided the lamb to be sacrificed. But there's more. God's people would mess up and they'd end up in slavery in Egypt and things were bad, but God is going to hear how bad it is and God's going to come and rescue his people because that's what God does. God rescues his people. He never fails to rescue his people. Always on his timing. But God rescues his people. That's what he does. And so he says, I'm going to rescue them out of slavery. They're they're, they're in a place called Egypt. I'm going to bring them to the promised land. And no more slavery. And and I'm going to bring them to a place of flowing with milk and honey. And so God's going to send plagues to these Egyptians. He's going to send 10 of them. And the last one was the worst of them all. It was the death of the firstborn son. But God is going to distinguish his people. And he asks them to do something kind of really unusual. He says, I want you guys to have a special meal of a lamb. I want you to take a lamb, and here's what I want you to do. I I want you to slaughter it. By the way, the lamb's got to be spotless. He's got to be a spotless lamb. And I want you to to take the blood of the lamb, and I want you to put it over your door. Why? Because death is coming to the land, and I want to pass over my people. And when I see the blood, I'm going to pass over the people, and I'm going to give them life. It's incredible. Let me read a little bit to you. Exodus chapter 12. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clan and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lentil, the doorpost, and the two doorposts of the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter the house to strike you. So you have this Passover lamb story, and God's people are miraculously set free from slavery. They're miraculously led to the promised land. By the way, the true Passover lamb is Jesus. And he's going to be slain. Why? So that we can be set free from the slavery of sin and death. And we can be heading home to the promised land of the new heavens and the new earth. And by the way, in the upper room, get this, don't, don't lose me. This is good stuff. In the upper room, the night Jesus was betrayed, guess what meal they're celebrating? The Passover. There was the Passover lamb slain that pointed to God's provision to get them out of slavery to the promised land. And at that meal was the true Passover lamb, Jesus, who was slain for us. Wow. Why? So he could free us from the slavery of sin and death. He could commence our journey home to the promised land to be with the Father in the new heavens and the new earth. And then he's also the promise of the Lamb of Isaiah. In Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, there was one who would come who was going to be called the suffering servant. And the suffering servant had some amazing qualities that he would be pierced because of our transgressions. Our iniquities would be placed on him. And it blows our mind, but it says this suffering servant, he is one that, that through his wounds, we are going to be healed. And here's what it says in Isaiah 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. When John said, behold, the lamb of God, he thought of Abraham, he thought of Moses, he thought of Isaiah and all the hope that he would be rescued. But there's more. You look forward to scripture. You look forward to John's revelation, the gospel of John, was uh, also, he also wrote the epistles 1, 2, and 3 of John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, in Revelation 5, we see another picture of a lamb, and it's, a really, it's another one of those beautiful, bizarre, phenomenal pictures. It was a lamb who was slain, and yet he lives. And he's, he's also like a lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of Jesse. I mean, it's just all these, all these metaphors, all these nicknames of Scripture are all finding their way in Jesus, the resurrected, risen Savior, the Lamb of God who was slain because of our sins, and yet he lives. And he says this, he's worthy. Because why? Because he's the only one who's going to open up all the promises of God. He's the only one who could ever open up heaven. He's the only one who can open up your heart. He's the only one who could take away your sin. That is looking back and looking forward. One day we're going to see the lamb who was slain. Still see the wounds that have set us free. How glorious. And then you look at John. And I got to go quickly through this. But if you want to just follow along. Looking at John. What does John say about him? He says something really interesting. There comes a man. He says he's a man with an unusual history. Although I'm before him, he's before me. It's kind of like, huh, how in the world did that happen? John was born first, but Jesus is eternal. It also says that he's the son of God, the one the Holy Spirit descends upon and remains upon. So he's fully man. He's fully God. John has told us that he's the word of God, who's uniquely with God. He was with God in the beginning, who is uniquely God. He is God. And we have a whisper of the Trinity. And then we realize that through this word, he created all things, that in this word, he is the light and life of men. He is full of grace and truth, that he took on flesh and dwelt among us. In verse 41, which we haven't got to, he's the Messiah. Do you think there's a lot of importance when behold the Lamb of God? Wow. This is Jesus. This is the one lying in the manger. Behold the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. We're going to look at a few things. How does Jesus take away the sin of the world? If Jesus to take away the sin of the world, he had to do two really important things. He had to clean up our sins, and he had to pay or atone for our sins. If I had a can or a big jar of paint, and I went into the Millennial Mall, and I went into Gucci, and I went right in the middle of it, and I just dropped the can of paint... I got two problems. I've created a mess that needs to be cleaned up and I've created something that needs to be paid for. And that is our sins. And that is what Jesus is going to do. He's going to clean up our sin and he's going to pay the price for our sins. What does he take away? Now, first of all, thing is, who takes away, did you notice what it says? Who takes away the what? The sin of the world. Let's look at the word sin. It doesn't say sins. It says he take away sin in the singular, meaning the totality. I mean, this is absolutely amazing that Jesus is going to take away all of our sins. It is well with my soul. You know the song. It says this, Not a part, but the whole. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious sin. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. 
If you're a child of God, if he has, is in your life, let me tell you, your sin, past, present, future, all of your sin has been paid. None of your sin can ever condemn you. You are set free from the power and the penalty of sin in the blood of Christ Jesus. That is such good news. How does he take it away? He washes it. He cleans up the mess and he pays for the mess. The ransom, the ransom is paid. Let me read you a couple verses. I try to pick out those where specifically with uh, washing and, and there's so many and paying for it. Revelation 7.14, he says, um, and he said to me, these are the ones who are coming out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb that it was slain for us washes away our sins. First, Peter would say it this way in 1 Peter 1.18. Knowing that you, you who are believers in Christ, were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold. God didn't pay your price with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. There's the lamb of God covering up our sins, paying the debt. Revelation 5.9 And they sang a new song saying Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals For you were slain And by your blood you ransomed People for God From every tribe and language and people and nation God cleaned up the mess I'm going to give you a few more No charge He blotted out our sins According to Isaiah 42.22 He blotted them out Gone I love what Isaiah 38, 17 says. He hides them behind his back. Um, it says in Jeremiah 31 and Hebrews 8 and 10, he chooses to remember them no more. If you're living with guilt and shame and you're a believer, why? Why? They've been blotted out. They're behind his back. And they're gone. They are washed. They are paid. That's over. Where, where does he do it? Where did he take them? Well, I love the fact that he nailed them to the cross, Colossians 2.14. He just nailed them to the cross. And I love what uh, it says in Psalm 103.12. He separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. Quit looking for them. Quit trying to hunt them down. You've been set free in Christ Jesus. And that's some really good news. So what's there, there for that? There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We truly are free. Galatians 5.1, then live like freedom. So who in the world does it include when he says he took away the sin of the world? We got one more point I got to have on this and we'll, we'll wrap this up. Who in the world does it include? Well, it says in Revelation that he has purchased from himself those from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. This salvation is not just a Jewish thing. It's not just an Israelite thing. It's a thing for all, all tribes, tongue, and nation. But Jesus is very specific on who he lays his life down for. He says in John 10, 15, I lay my life down for my sheep, for those that are mine. He'll say in John 10, 15, I lay my life down for my friends. He'll say in Ephesians 5, 25, I lay my life down and I cleanse the church, the beloved ones. It includes every tribe, tongue, and nation and people. But let me tell you something about the atonement of Christ Jesus. It wasn't just for the possibility that sins would be forgiven. 
It was for the real sins of God's people and God's people alone that he became our sin. So the sin, not in part, but the whole is dealt with. Oh, the joy of our great God. It is truly finished. We are truly free and we're heading home because of him. So now what? What now? Three things to just leave with. Behold it. I mean, we, we, we dug deep this morning, did we not? Behold it. And basically by that, seek him. Fix your eyes on him. There's nothing more beautiful. All the scripture is going to tell his story. Behold the Lamb of God. And what happened at the end of this passage in John? They followed him. So we are to seek him. We're to follow him, which means walk with him. Not just on Sundays, but 24-7 every day of our lives. Walking with him. What a privilege. But then it says something of this. That he has purchased for himself a kingdom of priests. Now, we got to end here with this incredible thought. What is a kingdom of priests? Well, that's who we are, that are to rule here on earth. That's what it says in Revelation 5. Well, priests represent him. Priests represent him. Uh, they, they're, they're just more than casual fans. They're pretty fanatical, and they're representing him. And how do you represent God? You do two things. We represent God to the people and we represent the people to God. That's what a priest does. Let's talk about it. You represent God to the people. You live your life as an ambassador. You tell your story. You invite people into the story. You point to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins. You represent God because why? You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You are that reality. You're God's beloved children. We represent them 24-7. Wherever God has placed you, wherever you go. And you also represent the people of God. We pray for one another. We pray for our nation. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our neighbors. We say, God, please be merciful. Show them the beautiful light of Christ. We are a kingdom of priests, not just the ordained ministry. It's all of us. And then the beautiful reality is that he gave us a meal that says this. Watch this. Behold the Lamb of God. Right here. It's right here that takes away the sin of the world. How did he do it? He was broken for us. He poured out his blood for us. Why? So we could be cleansed and we could be purchased as his. Why? So that we could be set free and head to the promised land. What joy is ours. Man, did John wallop a punch when he said to Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. And Father God, we thank you for your son, the lamb, the lamb who was slain. We thank you that we could see the whisper and the proclamation of his name with Abraham and Isaac, that we could see him because even Paul will say it black and white in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, that he is the true Passover lamb that was promised and given to Moses. The one who sets us free from slavery the one who helps his blood, helps death pass us by and gives us eternal life. The one that leads us home to the promised land. That he is that suffering servant that was pierced for us and yet silent. Silent when he was being crucified because he was paying the wrath that we deserve to have be paid. The sinless one became sin so that we could be set free. Oh, what incredible grace you've given to us. 
God, may your church here at King's Chapel, may we behold the Lamb of God. May we truly set our gaze on him. May we truly follow him. And God, may we realize what it means to be kingdom of priests for him. Because we're your ambassadors. And God, would you feed us with this meal to remind us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.